The gospel lesson for this Sunday is taken from Luke chapter 10, and we begin at verse 25 and read through verse 37, the passage we usually call the the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, He felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. We pray that you would guide us into your truth. Lord, your word is everlasting truth. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Every time this little boy came home from Sunday school, his mother would ask him, what was the lesson today? And he would tell the story, and then she would ask him, and what does that mean? And he would give the application. Well, he was at Sunday school when the parable of the Good Samaritan was taught. And she asked him what was the lesson, and he described it in great detail. And then she said, what's the application? And he said this. He said, when I'm in trouble... Other people should help me. Now we say, well, that's not quite the application there. That was more of a a self-centered thing. When I'm in trouble, everyone should help me. But we know the very opposite is the lesson here. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, if we don't look at the context of this story, we might miss something, too. We might miss the main reason why Jesus told this story. Although this story tells us how we ought to live, this isn't the main reason why Jesus told this story. Jesus told this story to show the lawyer and us as well that by nature we don't live as we ought to live. We don't love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't earn eternal life by what we do. 
And that's why we need a Savior. And so when this man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him the law, didn't he? (laughs) What does the law say? How does it read to you? Why did Jesus do that? Here was a man who thought he could earn eternal life. What must I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus shows us the purpose of the law. Why was the law given? The law was given to show us our need. To show us that we can't earn eternal life and that only faith in Jesus is what will save us. So how did Jesus do that? Notice, first of all, that Jesus tested the one who tested him. It was a common thing for Jesus to be tested by those who despised him because he often said things that they didn't want to hear. We see an example of this in our text. Luke tells us in verse 45 that a lawyer, now I need to define a lawyer here. We're not talking about someone who was a lawyer like we would today, but an expert in the law of Moses. So he comes and he stood up and and he put him to the test, Luke says, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting to notice that he doesn't ask Jesus how to have eternal life. He's quite confident he knows already there's something that you must do to be saved. It's all a matter of good works, of following the law and so forth. But even more interesting is to notice Jesus' response to his question. We might expect Jesus to say, don't you understand? There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Don't you know what the Bible says? It is by grace that you've been saved. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Wouldn't we expect perhaps Jesus to say that? What must I do? Well, there's nothing you can do, but... Jesus points him to the law. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and then your neighbor as yourselves. He got it right, didn't he? The first part of the law relates to love for God. The second part of the law relates for love for man. He summarized it well, and Jesus said, you're right. You have answered correctly. And then Jesus said, do this and you will live. Now, the reason why Jesus answered the lawyer's question in this way is because the lawyer needed to see how utterly impossible how utterly impossible it was for him to be saved by his good works. Who is able to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind? Do you love God that way? I don't. I don't love Him with all my heart and soul and strength and mind. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And do you do this consistently? When Jesus said, do this and you shall live, the word do is written in the present tense. Consistently, ongoing, 
In other words, you must always, in every situation, love God with your entire being. And you must always, in every situation, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you ever fail in that, what does James say in James 2.10? If you fail in one point, you have broken the entire law of God. So the lawyer was trying to test Jesus, but Jesus gave him a test that he would never be able to pass. No one could ever fulfill the demands of the law. Isn't that what Scripture makes clear? Romans three nineteen and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes, what? The knowledge of sin. Why was Jesus giving this man the law? (laughs) To show him his sin. To show him his need for a Savior. So when the law of God does its work in our life, it silences us. We have nothing to say. We have no defense. It shows us that we will never be justified in the sight of God by works. Jesus tested the one who tested him with a test he could never pass. No way. I'm reminded of my son, Mark. I'm going to pick on him this morning. When he was little, we used to play this game in the car. And we'd have questions. My wife would ask questions that were worth either one, two, or three points. Ones were the easier ones, two were the harder ones, and three were the hardest. And she tried to, you know, fit them into age brackets so that she wasn't giving, you know, Mark the hardest question to Sarah. So came to him and she said, uh, so Mark, what do you want, a one, two, or three? He said, a one. And so, no, he was doing the, the, the question, so he was going to give a one, and here, here's what's his, here was his test. How many lakes are there in the world, and name them? <laughs> Is that a test anybody could pass? There's no way anyone could pass that test. That's the law of God. There's no way... <laughs> No way you'll ever pass that test. No way you'll ever get to the point where you say, you know what? I am consistently loving God. I'm consistently loving my neighbor. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's why Jesus went to the law. Because this man thought, I can do it. I've been following these rules. And Jesus said, there's no way you can. You don't. You do that, you live, but there's no way that you can. So Jesus tested the one who tested him. Notice, secondly, Jesus judged the one who justified himself. It's obvious the law of God had not yet done its work in the heart of this man. We see that in verse 29 because it says, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Okay, who's my neighbor? Okay. Who is my neighbor then? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? It seems as though the lawyer is suggesting that the answer to that question, his question, isn't so simple. Aha. As if some people qualify as 
a neighbor and some don't. Jesus just might not know about this theological conundrum. Well, okay, if I'm to love my neighbor, then who's, who's my neighbor? Let's decide that, okay? Because there's questions about that amongst all the lawyers, all the religious people. Well, you go back to the Old Testament, what does it say? Leviticus 19.34, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Show love to even your enemy. So a stranger is to be loved. An enemy is to be loved. And if we're to love strangers and enemies, I think we could say, well, that includes everybody, right? We don't make distinctions by saying, well, you know, here's my neighbor, a fellow Jew, but no, not, not this person here. So I'm going to love this person, but I'm not going to love that person. Jesus said, that doesn't work. That does not work at all. And so he answered this man's question, who is my neighbor? He could have said, oh, I'll tell you right out who your neighbor is. But he answered it by telling this story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. The story that Jesus told is drawn from what was known to happen on the road from Jerusalem to uh, Jericho. It was a 15-mile journey through a very rugged area. There were often robbers, bandits awaiting for people as they came, and they would steal from them. And, and if you, you, you take that journey alone, like this man probably did, you were, you were putting your life on the line. And sure enough, this man was almost killed by robbers. If there was ever a man who needed a good neighbor, it was this man. But State Farm Insurance hadn't been, um, yeah, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So, so notice what happened. It was the religious leaders who didn't help the wounded man. You have a priest going down on that road, and we saw him, he scoots over to the other side. And then you've got a Levite coming down, and he sees this man in need, and he scoots over on the other side. And what is so telling about this is that they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that might suggest they had been at one of the feasts. They had been to the temple. They had been there to worship God. <laughs> Heard about love for God and love for your neighbor. And then they're walking down the road and, oh, no, he's not my neighbor. Had an opportunity to show love to someone who was in great need, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it at all. What must I do to have eternal life? She said, okay, if you think it's by works, here's what you do. And they didn't do it. And if that wasn't hard enough for the religious man to swallow, notice what else Jesus says. It was a Samaritan who helped the wounded man. The Samaritan was on his journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and what more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now you need to remember what things were like between the Jews and the Samaritans. 
They were not buddies. They were not friends. They were enemies. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well and he asked her for a drink, she was taken back. Because she said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan? And then John adds, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Luke chapter 9, when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, he sent messengers ahead of him to the Samaritans to make arrangements, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, heard this, do you remember what they said? (laughs) These loving men, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So that's a picture of the relationship between Jew and Gentile. And so who was the only one willing to help this man? It was a Samaritan. Interesting, isn't it? The lawyer must have been shocked. He couldn't imagine this kind of thing ever happening. A Samaritan helping a Jew? He just could not compute that because he didn't love them. They didn't love him. At least most of them didn't. So after telling this story then, Jesus asks him a question. It wasn't a hard question. The answer was very obvious. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Was it the priest? No. Was it the Levite? No. Was it the Samaritan? Yeah, it was. I don't think the lawyer wanted to answer this question. I don't think he wanted to answer that at all. But he had to say, the one who showed mercy toward him. And when he said that, he was really indicting himself with his own words. The one who was trying to justify himself, who is my neighbor, was judged. This story was directed to him by Jesus. It's obvious the law still hadn't broken this man. He still wasn't willing to cry out for mercy to Jesus. This is clear because then Jesus said to him, his last words to him were this, go and do the same. Do you think... Jesus thought he would actually do the same. Do you think Jesus thought he would actually begin to show love to his neighbor, the Samaritans, those that he despised? I don't think so. I think Jesus was telling him again how hopeless it is to think that you can be saved by the law. He didn't love the Lord with all his heart. He didn't love his neighbor as himself. And that is why this man needed a Savior. Richard Lenski says his command, Jesus' command, which is so brief and simple, if it is acted on by this lawyer, will soon show him all his selfish lack of love, all his inability to win life eternal by means of love, and thus make him ready to see what the prophets and kings longed to see, what the disciples did see. The blessedness of the grace which the Messiah Jesus brings to all who accept him by faith. 
What was Jesus doing? He was bringing him to the place where he recognized there was nothing that he could offer to God. No good works that he could bring to God where God would say, you know what? I want you on my team. You're such a wonderful man. Look at all you've done. What does the Bible say about our righteous deeds? They are like filthy rags. If that's what we present to God, whereby He should save us, all the good things that we have done, they are filthy rags. And the reason why they're filthy rags is because we are saying then that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross didn't do it. When Jesus said it is finished, it wasn't really finished. Something more needed to be done. Something more must be added. As if the perfect, blameless sacrifice of Jesus was not enough. Jesus said, it is finished. It is enough. Isn't that what Galatians 3, as we read this morning, talks about? It's not through the law. The promise was given before the law. The law came in because of sin. And when the law is proclaimed, it silences us before God. And it shows us our need for a Savior. So by pointing Him to the law, Jesus purposely and lovingly showed this man his need. If he was ever to be saved, he needed to realize first that he was a sinner in need of salvation. Was it all law? Is there no gospel here? Notice thirdly, Jesus reached out to the one who rejected him. I was taught in seminary that when you preach a text... You need to preach law and gospel, right? And I thought, where's the, where's the gospel here? Is there gospel here? Because he's coming and Jesus gives them law. He just crushes them. Is there some gospel here? Do this and you will live. Go and do the same. That's law, right? Is there some gospel here? How about the, the, the word that the lawyer quoted to Jesus in verse 27? Notice how the passage he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 begins by saying, You shall love the Lord your God. The word your. Is that a key word here? Does it point to a relationship with God? Is it a word to those who call God their Father? Not because of any good works they have done, but because they trust in Him alone for their salvation. I quote Lenski again. The trouble with the self-righteous is that they overlook the name of grace in the law. Then he quotes the Lord your God, which is at the very head of the law and establishes the fact that this God never intended to offer the law to a sinner as the way to eternal life. There has to be a living relationship with God, and that comes only through Jesus, right? The only way I can call God my father is if I come through Jesus, right? No man comes to the Father except through me. So if I come through Jesus, I can say, you're my God. You're, you're my Father. It's not by anything that I have done, but by what Jesus has done. 
So in this word that the lawyer quoted is the invitation to confess that the Lord is our God. And that's where it has to begin. It has to begin there. So don't make the mistake that many people make when it comes to salvation. The law of God cannot save you. All it can do, all it can do is show you your sin. Once we're saved, yes, is it a guide for our life? Yes, it is, but we're not saved by that. It's only by the grace and mercy of God. Several years ago, I had a pain in the neck, a real pain in the neck. It was not a person. It was in my neck, literally. And my shoulder was aching and I had numbness all the way down to my, the tip of my finger. And so I went to the doctor and they said, you need an MRI. And, and I was laying on that table and the position that I was in was just causing that pinched nerve to give me excruciating pain. And I said, I, I, I can't lay here. I had to stop the MRI. And so they sent me down to a place where I sat in a chair and was able to make it through the MRI and found out what issue I have with my neck, and I still have kind of a numb finger to this day. Did the MRI fix me? By undergoing an MRI, did that fix me? It did not fix me. All it did was show, you've got an issue in your neck. You've got a problem. That's what the law does. It shows us the problem. It reveals to us our sin. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, revealing the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And when the law of God has brought us to that place where we recognize, I am lost. I need a Savior. That's when the gospel becomes precious, isn't it? When I have nothing in my hands to bring Simply to the cross of Jesus. That's what I cling to today. There's the answer. It's not found in the law. The law cannot save you. But Jesus can. He took your sin to the cross. He paid the price. And as we put our trust in Him, we can rejoice in that good news. Son, your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on that cross for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word to those who would look at themselves and think that they have done good enough, that they have lived according to the law, that they've loved you with all their heart, soul, and mind, and their neighbor themselves. Lord, I pray that we would understand that we have not loved you as we bought. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And that reveals to us, Lord, that we need Jesus. We need a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the price that Jesus paid. Thank you for the good news of the gospel of salvation. We rejoice in that promise of the forgiveness of sins as we put our trust in Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.